The last few times I've celebrated uh, the 9 p.m. Mass, we ended up talking about sin. And I would like to move on to another topic, but it doesn't seem like the readings are letting me. So I'm going to talk about more sin. Um, but this time, the sin that a sin that probably in itself will not bring us to the confessional, but a sin that in itself is one of the hardest to let go of, and so hard because it's deep-seated and it's actually motivating, and that's the sin, the vice, of envy. And so the thing about envy and why it's so hard to let go of is because there's only one way to truly uproot it. And very few of us, if any, have accepted that way. And the thing about envy is the definition is not simple jealousy. It's not wanting what another person has. It's not coveting another person's goods or their spouse. The defect or the vice of envy is simply sadness at another's gifts or success. Just simply sadness. And so it's something that we can be, you know, kind of easy to hold on to because it doesn't seem to hurt anyone else. It just hurts ourselves. But the thing about envy, and another reason why we struggle to let go of it, is because from envy, its older brother, I guess you could say, is ambition. And so what often happens is, is that we look at our own deficiencies, and we look at how others' success makes us sad, and then we let that kind of be the kindling or the fuel to help us to be ambitious and to strive for great things. And so it seems like if we cut out envy, if we cut out the sadness that we have at other people's gifts, then we cut out ambition. And that it's hard to even get out of bed in the morning because it's what is the motivation that I have to do anything if I don't have ambition. And so I'd like to talk about this seemingly impossible conundrum that we are in with the sin of envy. But in order to do so, we have to talk about where it comes from first. And a lot of times we can't escape envy because we don't understand that it's a categorically different sin from the sins of the flesh. Because we oftentimes identify envy as jealousy. Envy is not as simple as lust or gluttony, which requires discipline. And through discipline and through self-denial, these sins can be overcome. But because envy is sadness at another's gifts, these gifts don't have to just be carnal or physical. They can be spiritual. And because we have not, as spoken before, there's only really one way to actually uproot envy. Because there's only one way, if we just simply say, you know what? Person X, Lucy, looks gorgeous. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to envy her. I'm just not going to care about her looks. I'm going to focus on me. What we're, not do, what we're doing is we're not actually uprooting the sin of envy. What we're doing is that we're moving it up to another level to say, look at me, I don't care about this person's beauty. And then we come to envy other people who seem to be more humble than we are. And so what happens with envy, the more and more 
that we seek to remove it from our lives, it actually, like a Chinese finger trap, the more that we pull it away, the more that it tightens. And it hits up to a higher and higher spiritual level. And this is because, at its root, envy is not a sin of the flesh. It's a sin of the spirit. In fact, it's the sin that we identify most with outside of pride, the sin that we identify most with the devil. Because as the Book of Wisdom says, it is out of the envy of the devil that sin and death entered into the world. It is out of envy of the devil that sin and death entered into the world. And so the reason why envy is so hard to remove is because it doesn't just take a behavior change. It takes a whole mindset change. That envy infects every part of our being. And so what is the one thing that the devil is incapable of doing and what caused him to fall, but one thing that we are capable since we are still able to be redeemed? And that is what's characteristic of the devil's sin is that he does not trust God. He looks at his own strength and he says that God will not be able to provide enough. And so whenever humans take on this sin of envy, saying God will not be able to provide enough, what ends up happening is that we say, so where will we be provided for? And it always turns into something limited, right? As the letter of St. James says, where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? It is, is it not from your passions that make war within your members? You covet, but do not possess. You kill and envy, but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not possess because you do not ask. You ask, but do not receive because you ask wrongly. Just spend it on your passions. We desire things that are necessarily limited. If I cannot desire God, who is infinite, then I will desire things that are limited. Because I don't trust that God is enough if I have the state, am I in the state of envy. I don't trust that he's actually enough. And so envy will naturally set in because I'm striving for something that's limited. There's only so much praise to go around. There's only one winner. There's only so much wealth to go around. There's only one wealthiest man. There's only so much pleasure to go around. The body can only take so much. Envy will be a byproduct if we do not trust God. And so because trusting God is the only way we know, then trusting Jesus, the one whom he sent, is the only way as well. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so what Jesus does whenever he's in conversation with his disciples, who are having a conversation based off of him, Jesus goes and he tells them about how he's going to suffer and die, and the, as classic envious people do, they miss the whole conversation. He's on the way, and they, they don't ask any questions because they don't know what Jesus is talking about because they're too busy talking about who, who do you think Jesus' favorite is. They miss the whole conversation, and so what Jesus does is he redirects their attention, and he gives them the end to overcoming envy and the means to overcoming envy. Whenever he happens to answer, there has to be some kid that happens to be right there, and he takes that child and he places it in their midst. Now that child, again, is the end 
and the means to overcome envy. The end, because the child has no choice but to trust their parent. It's the only way that they can be provided for. And most children just assume that what they are provided for just kind of comes to the front door, right? There's no question of where dinner is going to come from. It just happens magically. But also the means, because in the society that this is happening, children are the least members of society, not the exalted members of society that children kind of are right now in America. Where children are the lowest of the low are not respected or heeded. And so what Jesus is saying, whoever receives this child receives me, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. If you receive this one who can give you nothing in return, if you receive this one, if you love this one who does not validate or provide for you, this one who it is difficult to love, that you know that you are just spending yourself and you will not be recognized for loving them, if you can do that, then you will receive me. Because what ends up happening, he says, the first shall be last. And so whenever he says that, uh, he says, if you seek to be first, shall be last. This is important. I'll just take a step back here. Is that Jesus never says, don't seek to be first. He says, seek to be first. But the way that you do that is you're going to be last. You're going to serve all. He desires us to be excellent. And that desire for excellence is a natural human desire. But we have to be the servant of all if we wish to be first. But then, he places the child in their midst, and if we love those whom it is difficult to love, what ends up happening? At some point, and even those who are friends, and that we find ourselves envying at times, because we often envy our own friends. What ends up happening, if I begin to support them by an act of the will, begin to encourage them, and uplift them in all that they do, there will be a point where I encourage them in something that I think is my own territory. Like they are good at this thing that I think defines me. And at that point in weakness, that is when we turn to the Father as children. And we ask for the Father to again reaffirm our identity as baptized sons, to reaffirm our identity as beloved children. And in that way, new graces tend to well up within us. And the shackles of envy tend to loosen. And the darkness of envy, because envy is a very particular sin of the devil, when envy is brought up into the light, because a lot of us struggle with envy and we don't even know it. We only realize it whenever we feel like something that someone has threatens us. Whenever that's brought into the light, but that God sees it, then it is immediately vanquished. And so, in conclusion, the only way to conquer the sin of envy, which we all struggle with, is to have a total abandon to divine providence, to trust God that he can be the one to feed us, that we can have an appetite for grace and not seek to find nourishment elsewhere, or at least the kind that we seek eternal life from, that we seek eternal life alone in the Lord.
and that we do that from the place of acting generously, even whenever our desires don't want that. Whenever we act generously in loving those who are unlovable and in affirming those who are often the cause of envy for us, so that we can expose those that darkness and that envy. So that whenever we receive those whom it is difficult to love, whenever we receive them, that we may receive Jesus, and that the Father may receive us.